Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com Do you like to listen? Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for a new episode of The Lift. This is Daniel Foytek. I'm one of the creators and producers for The Lift. And I just wanted to say thank you very much to everyone who chose to take the time to go on Patreon and support us. I had talked to you a little bit in December about our desire to start to reward the artists and the authors and everybody else that helps create the show and make it possible. And in order to do that, our goal is to get to $550 a month. That's our first level where we can really start to reward the folks that are helping us put the show together. Since December, we've gotten up to about $200 a month. You doubled the amount that we were getting prior. We still have a ways to go and a ways to go before we can start to do some of the really cool stuff that we want to do, like put together a little anthology of the stories with some bonus stories for you. That would be written anthologies and more. So if you haven't donated to the show yet, now is as good a time as any. You can support us for as little as $2 a month and get a really cool Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes bookmark designed by Jeanette Andromeda. And you get other rewards on up from there, like personal messages from Victoria, a drawing of you with Victoria, and a whole lot more. So today's episode is by our good friend, Paul Sading. Paul has a couple of podcasts, audio dramas that he does on his own. He's going to tell you a little bit about in his intro here coming up. So I'm going to go ahead and turn this over to Paul, let him say hello, and then we will go for a ride. Again, a big thanks to everybody for listening, rating and reviewing the show, and for those folks that are supporting us on Patreon. Hi, my name is Paul Sading. I'm the writer for today's episode of The Lift, called The Box. If you enjoy the story, you can find Subject Found and Diary of a Madman audio dramas over at foundstories.com and madmandiary.com respectively. Thank you for listening to this episode and for more episodes of The Lift, go over to victoriaslift.com. I have lost so much. My name is Victoria. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. Will you accept your fate? I have my music box and a library lost, but I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Um. 
idly wiping condensation droplets from my beer mug, I tried to block out the smattering of laughter and blithe chatter filling the restaurant. The futile task of cleaning the glass was a cathartic distraction from reality. The beer sat untouched. Too much thinking and not nearly enough drinking, I thought, with a fair amount of self-deprecation. I planned on having a few more rounds after this one before the afternoon was done. I needed this. Glancing out the window near my table, I squinted against the blazing sun. It was ruthless, scorching the earth and anyone who dared venture out into the day. I hate summer. A season when far too many people are out enjoying themselves and their families and friends. Laughing. Lounging. Loving. Who needs that? Who needs false pretense and fabricated families? Everyone presents what they think happiness and family are supposed to look like, never showing the world the reality of their lives behind closed doors. That's the problem with the world. No one is genuine anymore. Everyone mimics each other's delusional machinations in an effort to avoid being deemed the strange ones. How you doing? The waitress said blandly. I'm okay, I stuttered, jarred from my thoughts by her interruption. You've been sitting here forever and still haven't ordered anything to eat. She cocked her head to the side, snapping her gum as she waited for me to answer. I gripped the handle of the mug inside, hoping she'd go away. The last thing I needed was some jaded college student with a mediocre attitude irritating me. I'll order when I'm ready. I didn't even bother looking at her. Why would I? So I could see yet another young female give me an eye roll? My daughters had that angle more than covered. She stood there as if her mere presence would pressure me into acquiescing. Another few awkward seconds passed before she moved on to her next customer. I realized my bladder wasn't as big as my determination to get drunk. So I stood and weaved through neatly organized tables occupied by socializing patrons. I attempted to repress my growing envy. How could this stale corporate dining environment bring so much joy out of people? What was I missing? Now more frustrated than before, I shoved the heavy restroom door and stepped into a hotel lobby. I turned, thinking I'd misread the sign, and I was stunned to see the door I had just entered was now gone. I dumbly faced a wall decorated in the most appalling burnt red wallpaper I'd ever seen. Turning back toward the hotel lobby, I looked for another way to the restaurant. An unoccupied oak reception desk stood sentry to my left, and in front of me was a luxurious sitting room set. Off to my right, a wide staircase rose to the second floor. The lobby was as voluminous as it was vacant. It was a dust-covered space, uncared for and untouched in ages. You're very peculiar, a small voice said. I stared down into the vibrant face of a young girl. I never heard her approach, but here she was, staring up at me with large emerald eyes. She couldn't have been more than ten, and wore her hair in pigtails. Her purple dress was rimmed in lace with in-sewn pearls around the neckline. 
Her dress was as outdated as this lobby, and in her hands, she held a small music box, cradling it as if it were the most precious possession in the world. I'm sorry, but where am I? I was flustered, but trying not to let it show. You're exactly where you need to be, she answered. Come, I need to show you something. And with that, the young girl in the purple dress walked off. With no obvious way back to the restaurant, and hoping she could help me, I followed. The girl danced between the furniture until she reached the side of the lobby, stopping before a black grate. She spun quickly, with the robust joy of a child who hasn't yet experienced the pain and lethargy of life. Would you please join me? She said, gesturing towards the grate. Without waiting for a response, she slid it open, exposing the interior of an old elevator cart. I paused. The lift was lavishly decorated. Gold-rimmed mirrors hung on its walls, and even its floor tiles were polished to an exquisite shine. I'm sorry, young lady, I stammered, but I need to get going. Can you please just point me to the exit? (laughs) You are a silly man. You're not leaving. Not yet, anyways. But I need to go. She shook her tiny pigtailed head. You have important things to do here. Then she hopped into the lift. Please don't ask me again. I reluctantly joined her, as impressed by the lift's beauty as I was unnerved by the unnatural maturity of this child. Whereas everything else in the lobby had been neglected for decades, this 30-square-foot area seemed to have passed ages under the tender attention of someone who cherished it. As if sensing I had a thousand questions, the girl smiled. My skin crawled. I'm Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes. It's very nice to meet you, Harold. Would you mind pressing the button for the sixth floor, please? I automatically reacted to this girl's instruction, barely stopping myself before pressing the button with a number six, trimmed in gold. How do you know my name? I know a lot about you. She paused and stared at me, her eyes wilting with a sadness that hadn't been there before. Sixth floor, please. This time, it was less of a request. I have to get going. Which floor will take me back to the restaurant or outside? I don't care which, to be honest. My voice betrayed anxiety. I didn't want her to know she was carving an edge in my harsh exterior. You have more important issues that need your attention. And don't you think about pointing a finger at me. I'm not the one that was called here. I didn't remember pointing at her. But I was. I slowly curled my finger back into my palm. Maybe playing this girl's game was the quickest way to get back to drowning myself in lousy beer. I pressed the button and the grate slid closed, unassisted. So, I asked, trying to quell my growing unease, what's on the sixth floor? You'll see, came her reply. We rode the rest of the way in silence until the lift stopped and opened to a long, narrow hallway. The same hideously red wallpaper in the lobby decorated this floor. 
what social construct was responsible for humankind's misplaced interpretation that burnt red portrayed class? The hallway extended from the lift into a wall of white smoke. The hotel was on fire. We need to leave, I stammered, punching the button to close the grate and get us to safety. The lift didn't react, and neither did Victoria. I hit the button labeled lobby. Still nothing. The fire, I pointed down the hallway. How could she be this calm? A fire without flame? I think not. There is no fire, I promise you. And she was right. A mist hung in the air, not smoke. Victoria smiled. This is your floor. Time to get to work. Uh, that's okay, I answered. I'm not sure there's anything for me here. I looked beyond those burnt red-colored walls that faded into the convulsing mist, feeling my skin tingle. I wanted no part of this game anymore, even if it did take me back to the restaurant and my troubled thoughts. Everything here is for you. You just need to take the initiative. Go on now, you have work to do. Her soft words hung in the air with harsh implications. The more time I spent around this young girl, the more she spoke. The more I grew uncomfortable about the prospect of remaining in the lift with her. Okay. The words sounded weak in my ears. The hallway narrowed, squeezed in on me. The further I walked from the lift, the more restricted I felt. I stretched my arms out to my sides, thinking for a moment that was a practical defense against this invasion. My pulse quickened. What am I supposed to... I turned to ask Victoria a question, but she was no longer behind me. The lift was no longer behind me. Instead, I now looked into a fading nothingness. Taking an apprehensive step back toward where the lift had been, I listened for any clue to what was beyond the darkness. Stillness. Utter, deep stillness greeted me. It was as if this nothingness absorbed everything, dropping the world into a faded non-existence. Forced to turn around, I slunk down the hall in the direction of the mist. I reached out for the wall. The tactile sensation provided a sense of sanity of grounding if i didn't have that i'd Dad? a muffled voice cried from behind the door i'd just passed it was rebecca's voice well not her voice but an echoed dreamy replication why was my daughter here rebecca Dad, is that you? this new voice came from the other side of the hall It was my youngest daughter, Alicia. Her voice, too, was somehow altered. Alicia? I failed to contain my rising panic. Harold, is that you? A different voice now. A different room. Rachel, my wife. She was here, too? How was this possible? How was any of this possible? Babe? I cried out, making my way to a midpoint between the three rooms, unsure what to do or what was even happening. 
a low rumble sounded from somewhere beneath me. The floor rattled and then shook violently. I steadied myself, remotely aware of my family's screams. Hello again, Harold. Victoria stood beside me, still holding that music box. This time, it was open, emitting a soft green light and playing an eerie, unsettling children's song. It seems you're not alone. What is going on? I snarled at this child who wasn't a child. Why is my family here? The rumble grew louder. It was now more solid, more palpable. I tried to peer through the mist for its source when the floor buckled, flinging me into the wall. My cheek exploded in pain. I grasped for purchase and struggled to find anything to help me stand. My family screamed. My daughters cried my name. Rachel begged me to help. I felt their panic and did the only thing I could do in my helpless state. I yelled that I'd save them. The girls sounded so young again. Their nasty teenage attitudes now just a dull memory. The jostling hallway threw me side to side. Couldn't even get to my knees. Never mind, help them. Growing louder, the rumbling drowned their cries. This was so cruel. I crawled toward the closest door when the floor dropped again, sending me flat and knocking the wind out of me. Exhaustion depleted the little energy I had left. Black spots burst in my field of vision. I fought just to stay conscious. I needed to catch my breath, but precious seconds continued to slip away. Dad! Alicia's scream cut through the rumble. My body reacted as any father's would. I low-crawled along the thick carpet toward her room. Victoria stood in the way, watching me struggle. How was this little girl resisting being tossed side to side? How had this earthquake not broken her tiny body? This is not my struggle. Victoria answered my unasked question. Her expression betrayed a mix of apathy and understanding. I cannot help you, Harold. I told you, you've been called here for a reason. You need to face this on your own. Dumbfounded, I laid there on that stale carpet, looking up at a young girl who appeared unaffected by neither this apparent earthquake or my struggle. My girls, they need help. Please, they're children for God's sake. Children just like her. Surely that would spur her into action. This strange girl might not care to help a grown man, but if she had an empathetic bone in her body, she would surely help my family. Victoria simply stood there, holding that stupid music box, the inanimate object more important to her than the precious lives beyond these hotel room doors. My family was in danger, and she just watched. Gritting my teeth, I pulled myself along the floor, galvanized with the anger I felt at Victoria's apathy. What are you doing, Harold? She asked over the groaning of the building. I'm saving my goddamn family, I snarled. She shook her tiny head, her pigtails waving side to side. 
No need to make hasty decisions or use such crude language. It's not polite, you know. What are you talking about? They're trapped and this place is going to collapse. Victoria shrugged. But have you considered the alternatives? For God's sake, I shrieked. I... The next words caught in my throat. The nothingness at the end of the hallway where the lift had been was now at least five feet closer than only seconds ago. And it was still moving. As I lay there on that musty fire hazard of a carpet, I watched the nothingness approach. Again, Victoria didn't budge. Are you happy, Harold? What? What do you mean? I choked out each word. The way I see it, your choice is simple. But that's the irony of life, isn't it? Each of us is blinded to the solution because of our tendency to emotionally invest in something long after we should have stopped. Please, I'm begging you, I croaked. Please help my family. I guess we do it because we think we'll rediscover the elation we used to get from those situations. Victoria continued, unmoved by my plea. Be they places, events, things, or even people. The nothingness grew expanded, swallowed. The sunk cost fallacy. It's a peculiar thing, wouldn't you agree? (laughs) We're convinced we cannot possibly abandon our effects. Time after time again, we fail to see our fallacious reasoning. So we continue putting more of ourselves into something that may not deserve it. Desperately clinging to perceived value. I, I don't know what you want from me, I begged. Her steady gaze unsettled me. I couldn't swallow. I'll ask you for the last time. Are you happy? The softness of her tone mocked the severity of my situation. For a fleeting moment, I wanted to debate this child. But the grave reality of this situation urged me forward, spurred me to action. The nothingness crept closer, closing in on the door behind which my oldest daughter was trapped. Victoria's gaze leveled above my head at something behind me and nodded. I risked a quick glance over my shoulder and noticed the mist also slid toward me from behind. These two ominous forces squeezed me. One promised nothingness and the other promised... The realization was raw. Victoria told me I'd been called to this hotel. She told me I had a choice to make that I couldn't leave until I had. And now, I understood. Victoria wasn't here to harm me. No part of this experience was. If any harm came from it, it would be because I chose it. In the end, I wouldn't be able to fault anyone but myself. My family cried hysterically, but their cries meant they were still alive. I had time. Both ends of the corporeal hallway almost touched the first and third doors. I had seconds to act, each one counting more than the previous. I looked Victoria square in the eyes. No, I said confidently. I'm not happy, and I haven't been for a very long time. She nodded slowly. You're a sacrifice for your family, Harold. More than anyone should, 
put dreams on hold so they could have what they wanted. Victoria's tone was light, as if this was all just child's play. You've closed yourself off from friends who've drifted away after years of neglect. Wood, from either the door frames or the hotel, creaked, groaned. Before you know it, your children will be fully engaged in their own lives and will have little time for you. They already have so little, don't they? And your wife's business, it's everything to her. She's so involved with it, she's barely around. Soon it will be just you, alone, just your dogs to keep you company. Will you be happy when the time comes? Truly happy? The question hung in the air between us. The answer was obvious, but still elusive. You can change that right here. Right now. Your family or you, Harold. Choose quickly. Her smile was anything but youthful and free. It was the ageless smile of someone who'd waged thousands of internal wars and survived. The nothingness now absorbed the doorframe and my eldest let loose a violent scream. My heart shattered. My chest heaved in panic and pain. Again, I looked over my shoulder as the mist formed itself around the frame of the door behind which my wife cried. I sobbed in response. Only seconds remained to decide. And finally, I did. It's my turn. I nodded at the wise young girl and leapt into the mist. The world flashed bright white, blinding me. I covered my eyes with my arm as I fell. The rumble of rushing air rose to deafening levels until the intensity was too much to withstand. My body struggled against being ripped apart just before it all flashed away, and I stood in the middle of the hotel lobby again. Beyond the desk and sitting area, Victoria stood by a brown-stained door, from which hung a crooked, employees-must-wash-hands sign. Her face beamed. I think you'll be happier now, Harold. <laughs> it's not easy to do what you did. Happiness can be fleeting, but it can be found. It's never too late. She pressed the door handle, but not before I placed my hand on hers, stopping her. Thank you, Victoria, I said in a hoarse, exhausted voice. Her smile shone like only a child's can, and then she opened the door. Go now. She nodded toward the restaurant. I moved you to a table in the general seating area. I must have given her a quizzical look because she said, Well, surely you didn't think they'd let your daughter sit in the bar area, did you? That's illegal. But, but I thought... Panic gripped me. Oh, relax, silly. Victoria chided. Your decision has been on it. But what is the harm in having a nice meal with your family before you pick up those long-neglected hobbies again? Your model airplane will wait a little bit longer. And with that, an unseen force shoved me into the restaurant area. I smiled contentedly, knowing even when we have the fortitude to make the tough decisions in life, it's still nice to have a helping hand. I waved to my wife through a sea of indistinguishable faces. Rachel gave me an odd look while biting into her hamburger. I smiled as I joined my family 
the first genuine smile I've felt in years. Alicia grimaced. You took forever, Dad. Gross. I laughed. <laughs> we all did. It felt good to be happy again with the three people who meant everything in the world to me, but who were no longer everything in my world. big thank you to all of you for listening to the show to all of you who take the time to rate and review the show in itunes and stitcher and every place else and to all of our patreon supporters without your generous contributions it would be nearly impossible to put this show together full show notes with credits links and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com we make other podcasts you might enjoy check out the wickedlibrary.com and also ninthstory.com for links to other shows. If you're on social media, you can check us out on Facebook and also on Twitter. And if you'd like to make sure you don't miss future episodes of the show, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, lots of places. <laughs>